This meeting is being recorded. Om Sahana Vavatu Sahano Bunaktu Sahaviryam Karavavahai Tejasvinavadhi Tamastuma Vidvishavahai Om Shanti 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 So, welcome everyone. So today we are doing uh, 21 to 25. Um, just to quickly summarize last week for those uh, um, uh, who did not join and also for those who joined to refresh our memories. So in 16 to uh, 20, Bhagwan talks about uh, 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 sort of uh, how a person with uh, that how a jnani actually behaves in this world. And one of the most important shlokas there, uh, which, which expresses the attitude of the Brahman uh, or the person who's realized Brahman is that the person has an equal eye um, towards anything. And there are four examples which are stated there. The person, he views a person with uh, the greatest amount of learning and humility with the same attitude as he would view a cow or an elephant, or a dog, or even a dog eater. Okay, that's what it says. And then, um, then I think, uh, then we were we were we were talking about uh, these shlokas, and then you know Ajay asked this very powerful question, saying that okay, hey, sometimes I kind of get pulled into my day-to-day -day stuff, and uh, I have to do it, and then this the strength of what I'm learning doesn't seem to be uh, expressing itself. And then I may have to go somewhere else. And Ajay, I'm paraphrasing, so apologize. So then I think uh, we probably got into a discussion uh, in terms of explaining from our perspectives as to what each one of us would do. And uh, that is an amazing discussion what we had, uh, where uh, each one of us shared what worked for us, what did not work for us. And uh, uh, I think uh, the most uh, important takeaway that I had was uh, there was this thing about uh, guilt that came about saying, that, okay, hey, you know, I feel guilty that I'm not doing this, but I'm going going forward and chasing my material desires. And then I think there's some discussions that went around to help help uh, articulate as to why guilt is probably not okay or how to deal with that kind of a uh, situation. And the cake, the, uh, uh, the uh, icing on the cake, uh, the icing on the cake was uh, when Lakshmi, uh, she said that, uh, okay, she was going through similar kind of a, uh, uh, a challenge in terms of her uh, thinking about how to manage a particular situation. And I think uh, she got some good insights from uh, uh, from how to manage this quote-unquote guilt that one feels when one neglects doing something. I wish Lakshmi was here. Probably we could have asked her to explain a little bit more if she was okay with it. But uh, looks like we probably will have to wait for another day. So... Uh, with that, maybe in anybody else want to share any important highlights from our last chat that we had? Okay, cool. So, so uh, with that, uh, who want to volunteer today to chant 21 to 25? Uh, Rajesh, before that, do you want Vivek to share his experience? Uh, yeah, after we chant. After we chant. Oh, okay. I see. Okay, let me go. 
बाह्यस्पर्शेस्वसत्तात्मात्मनियत्सुखत्मात्मसुखमक्षयमश्नुते ये संस्पर्शजा भोगाहोनयतेमते बुध शक्नोतिहैवयस्सोढ़ोक्षणाक्रोधोद्भव वेगम संयुक्त सुखी नर योतुखोतराम तथाज्योतिरवय सयोगी ब्रह्म निर्वाण ब्रह्मभूतोधिगछति लभन्ते ब्रह्मनिर्वाणम् अर्षयक्षीनकल्मशाः छिन्नद्वैधायतात्मानः सर्वभूतहितेरताः सो बिफोर वी स्टार्ट यू नो डिस्कसिंग दैट विवेक वुड यू प्लीज share where what you've been doing and some of the highlights of swami paramartha ashram's uh, retreat that you went yeah thank thank you so yeah look i mean uh, i i must apologize i've been totally evolved from from the group and it's just been a mad time i mean i in this in this period i, I have had uh, actually uh, i met up with uh, satya ajay and and vp in delhi briefly we had a breakfast nice breakfast together i think a couple of just after one of the uh, one, of, one of the ekadashi fasts um and uh, and, and i met anu in dubai as well i spent an evening with her and her husband but but i mean i've been traveling like like mad and and often more often than not sunday afternoons at this time there's been other things and i've not been able to study the book uh, for for i've been behind i mean i'm probably somewhere in chapter 2 right now um but uh, so so in all this manicness from mainly work related and good nothing no 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 real trouble as such but i was really feeling you know uh physically i was feeling quite you know weak over caffeinated uh, uh not not uh, not sleeping that well uh generally so so in delhi uh, at towards the end of my stay i was there most of july to as end of my stay i said okay i must get away and get to so so i i actually planned to go to kerala or karnataka or you know tamil nadu or something in the south but i didn't have those many number of days so i decided to go to rishikesh instead and just as i was leaving on the I, i went on the 21st so i booked it on the 2020 or the 20 you know 19th or something like that the idea was that i i'd never heard of pramathashram so my mother told me that you know some some folks she knew I was I was looking at either going to an ashram or going to a five star resort and just just sort of just you know blanking out for a few days but then when she told me about Parmath ashram I looked at it and I really appeal but but unfortunately I ended up over there there's a there's a annual f- a festival called called the Kanwar Yatra it's 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 uh it's it's pronounced Kanwar but it's it's actually spelled Kanwar K A N W A R Cover, cover, yeah. So it's cover. it's cover. 
Kavadia or something. That's, that's what they call that. It is mayhem. I mean, you know, that it is all these young people from all over North India, just uh, young men mainly, all, you know, they're going out. Uh, they, they go up to, I think, Kedarnath, if I'm not wrong. Uh, and, and there are other various pilgrimages for, for, for Shivaji. But basically, they have catered food all along. So they either go in temples and there's, there's music blaring on them. It's, it's, just, it's just total mayhem. Um, and and those have been to Rishikesh, you know, there are three, three major bridges. Um, there's, there's Janki Pul, there's, there's uh, uh, Ram Jula and Lakshman Jula. And uh, so they had one-way traffic going on, on two of them. And Lakshman Jula was actually shut. Just, just, it was it's been decommissioned uh, or it's under repair. So I did what walking I could, but I mean, the, the whole idea was, I, I luckily got a place in Paramat Ashram. I just applied a few days before and they, they were kind enough to accept me. But then I met people who said that they weren't getting rooms. And particularly for some reason, they don't, they don't, uh, uh, they don't give rooms to single men for some reason, but somehow they, you know, I, I escaped that. Uh, it, it's as a ashram itself. So they have a daily program that starts at about five o'clock with, uh, uh, with a prayer meeting, followed by yoga, uh, followed by a couple of discussions on, uh, on, on, on the Gita. There's a recital of Gita, the Ramayana, once a day. Uh, and then there's an evening arti. They have one of the main artis on, on, in, in, in Rishikesh, which is beautiful. Uh, so I attended, uh, I, I, I did the early morning discourse, uh, which is, it's, it's a school for, for Brahmin boys. So, so the arti is also sung by these, these boys. Uh, and and uh, the, the early morning, five o'clock discourse is, uh, is also for the boys. And you know, so I participated in that, uh, and and they have an Ayurveda uh, sort of center attached to it. It's not part of the ashram. There's no shop. They have a fantastic canteen. You get pretty much everything over there. I mean, they have sattvic food if you want that, and I did have kitchari and stuff like that. But um, they have uh, they get you can get chola batura. You know, I mean the whole. Uh, yeah, Malpua and sort of all the all the North Indian goodies, if you will. You can you can get that there. Um, and and they have a decent decent sort of number of uh, international. I mean, I met a met a very old uh, Korean professor of uh, uh, a Korean professor. He's from the University of Seoul, and he he uh, he teaches uh, Hindu philosophy uh, in. Uh, in, in, in South Korea, and he spends about a month, month and a half. Uh, I met, uh, you know, one one day the arti was sung by uh, five students that they had. Uh, I, I mean, these were, you know, one one Russian, one uh, Australian, one cup, cup, one American, one Italian, and one more person. And you know, they don't don't speak any Hindi, but they sang beautifully. Um, so there were quite a few international folks over there. Uh, both, you know, Sadhviji, who I think we've heard before in one of the talks, and 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 uh, Guruji, they, they they were they were out and about, um, and and just sort of this was off peak. So other than the other than the um, the, the cover uh, cover crowds, which are, which is really horrible. I mean, in the sense that you know you could hear it in your room, uh, people early in the morning on which. Uh, 
but otherwise it's very good and the combination of doing you know meditation yoga and ayurvedic treatments so i i took about 4 days of uh, ayurvedic treatment through a doctor as well and, and it's it's just so energizing all the time and um Yeah, and and actually, per Alpna's recommendation, that you know, I reached out to Alpna and BP, and they gave me a bunch of recommendations. So I did walk up to uh, the Shivananda Center, but I didn't, I didn't really spend much time over there. And uh, I also went to Vishishkufa, which is uh, you know, and and that is where I actually bathed in the in the Ganges. Uh, so I did, I did take that. It was beautiful. That was that was lovely. That probably, I think. the best part of the trip to to get there so thanks for that out um so other than that i mean you know it, it was it was more in sort of an hour and hour trip than a than a uh, but i came back i mean that four days itself was very energizing so so i imagine the longer a longer stay would be really good and i would reinforce that i think i think this group should you know i know i know you're planning a trip to kedarnath or uh, Monk, I think, I think Kailash, whatever that is, is other group going. Uh, but just going to one of these uh, spiritual centers and you know, that combination of uh, arti and 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 discourse and yoga and Ayurveda was just wonderful. So that's that's it from my side. Uh, any any awesome. thoughts? No, Vivek. I think that's that's really good. I think the the question that that I have is very simple. Um, um, this is related to you know maybe the discussion what we had last week and maybe a question that uh, we uh, or some an explanation that VP was making last week or the previous week. So the question is very simple, right? A uh, uh, couple of years before, if you had this opportunity to take a four day break, what would you have done and why you would have done that compared to you know? how this is this break was for you so so couple of years ago well i had that you know so i did that in 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 tiruvannamalai which in, no no a couple of years means like let's say 10 years back a uh, 10 years back there was no way you know you know a bunch of wild horses couldn't couldn't have driven me to a place like this uh, i mean even even 4 years back it would be impossible Uh, it's just unthinkable that I would go somewhere like this. So, so uh, I mean, I, I would have easily gravitated towards you know the five stars that are around there. And that that would be my preferred uh, um, uh, preferred sort of choice. Right. The thought of going and staying in an ashram is pretty basic, actually. I mean, they so uh, the big celebration was that I got a a, a room with a double bed and an attached bath. You know, I mean, this is oftentimes you have to share these sort of places. So, but that was that was a big uh, no, uh, no laundry service, all of that. You know? Yeah, well, laundry room service. <laughs> no, I I asked that question only to kind of you know um, reinforce the uh, the uh, the the thing what we've been learning in this chapter, right? At the end of the day, the seed once it goes inside, it starts germinating. Uh, sooner or later, it has to germinate. As long as we are Kind of you know keeping the mind fertile and you know uh, watering it rightly. That's the key thing that I want to you know bring bring it out and reinforce to all of us that yeah I think the seed has been sown it will happen. Hmm. So well you know indeed I mean you know this is this is the preferred way of spending time now rather than. Um, 
rather than any other way. Wonderful. Okay, any questions for Vivek? All right. So with that, we sort of get on to our discussion. So anyone, um, uh, Subhu, we are missing your presentations of uh, summaries uh, these days. <laughs> You're not sharing any summary presentation, kicking off the conversation. You know, the other day, Muku was telling me, you know, I, I was telling, you know, maybe uh, Subhu will do another presentation. Then I said, no, Subhu <laughs> might probably learn from us not to make presentation. Then he said, hey, don't give him such ideas. <laughs> No, actually, I, I did speak to Sakuba after my first meeting, and he said we normally do presentations at the concluding part of the chapter. Then I said, okay, I, I will actually. Yeah, you can be a trendsetter here, no problem with that. <laughs> no, I haven't made notes, but I've, I've made some pointers, but I've not made a presentation. Maybe if you want me to do it, I can start doing it. It actually ahead. helps no, me too. To it's up to you. No pressure. No, 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 I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. Just go ahead and uh, you know kick off the conversation. Not today. Yeah. Today? Yeah. I don't have a presentation, but I just made. No, some no, not the presentation. Just kick off huh. with, with your thoughts. Trying to put you on a spot. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, so basically, uh, these five uh, slokas, uh, I made some two, three points for myself. Um, I think in one of the slokas, I think he talks about, you know, uh, the theory of marginal utility, right? Uh, when it comes to, uh, um, you know, the material happiness. I think uh, for me, that was one big take that, you know, what is the difference? Because we tend to seek happiness. I think as an individual, we want to be happy. We all want to do the right things, etc. We want to enjoy life. But we there are two ways to get this happiness. I mean, one is uh, to direct it outside in the outside world and try. But then there are limitations to the kind of, you know, uh, the happiness that you get there because it is very temporary. And the other way to get and seek happiness is to turn within and be able to sort of, you know, look within and try and, get, you know, understand and go deeper within and then gain the happiness of, you know, uh, what they refer to as the bliss, right? Uh, I was, um, you know, um, reminded of Ramana Maharshi here uh, because, you know, Ramana Maharshi used to say um, for a seeker, it is okay if he, you know, um, gets to experience the spiritual bliss even once, okay? Uh, because once that happens, uh, he will come back to it again. He used to, you know, give the analogy of a child going on a giant wheel. So he would say that when you are in the fair, you know, initially, you know, when you ask a child to go onto the giant wheel, he would say he would refuse or he would not want to really take the, you know, bold step of doing so. Um, but once he experiences that, he wants to go back to it again. Yeah, and he keeps longing for it even after the fair after, after after the fair is closed. Okay, now this is an example quoted by Ramana Maharshi that spirituality is something very similar. You know, you don't want to necessarily take that step. You want to be in this world. You want to you know sort of uh, live in this world because that's what is visible to you, right? But when you start to you know jump into the realms of spirituality, if you taste it even once, he says it is good enough because you will want to come back to it again. Okay. And to me, I think the first thing that I realized was uh, the differences between the material happiness and spiritual happiness. I think one is marginal utility in material happiness. He gives that example of, you know, how eating a peda, you know, you love, love it the first time, the second time it diminishes, the third time, and then once you have 15 times, then you don't want to, you know, eat the peda anymore because there is a theory of marginal utility there. Whereas in the spiritual realm, uh, this thing actually tends to multiply. You know, once you taste 
there's bliss or you know you're in a state of ecstasy or deep meditation or contemplation or you try to you know uh, be in the presence of you know sages and seers and you experience the vibrations and the you know the the kind of feeling that you en enjoy then you want to do it again and you want to do it more and more and there is no concept of diminishing utility the more you do it the more you seek it and the experiences you know just starts to build on from there you know so that for me was one big take um and then of course uh, you know uh, this thing of uh, desire being you know the start of you know everything in this world which actually draws you to the external world and uh, he starts to say that desire is like an avalanche and uh, once you have a desire you want to fulfill it and if you want to fulfill it anything that comes in the way as an obstacle is something that you know uh, you know uh, causes you to you know mind to be agitated and therefore precipitates as anger or hatred right the more the stronger the desire the more the anger and the hatred right that's the other part i could take and to me at that point in time i was just remembering the fir model right so so the fir model i think was a beautiful uh, beautifully said model where if you are experiencing something like that then uh, please look at frequency uh, intensity and revival i think uh, if you're able to see you're making some amount of progress there i think then you're actually you know calming your mind to a large extent and to me the desire avalanche is um a good example to also know that for you to be able to conquer and become a yogi if anybody wants to travel that path uh, which all of us try to do i think um you know subduing the desires is more important than you know uh controlling the anger or the this one because if you are able to reduce your expectations from what you have in life i think uh, it will help you in the journey of uh, spiritual uh, you know uh, evolvement right um that's the second thing i took um and then the last thing which left me was uh, you know uh, the more and more you go within i think it is the power of silence which comes to play which plays a very important part and uh, i was just remembering this uh, you know a saying that says that in the depth of silence uh, the voice of the lord is heard right uh, and to me i think that was a third takeaway because uh, if one has to really transcend all this he needs to really withdraw and to me i think you know going inward uh doing that meditation trying to get that state of equanimity is also the time when you slowly start to you know understand listen to yourself your consciousness and it's probably that's where you start getting those aha moments which i think many of them have experienced not just the spiritual seekers but i'm saying that even a kekule you know had this aha moment when he was so intensely withdrawn you know to figure out that the benzene ring was actually um, you know uh, something that he devised from dreaming about snakes you know intercoiling with one another it's also uh, when i look at um, you know some of the writings of rabindranath tagore some of the writings have come when you know it's in the power of silence that they've actually created wonderful stuff right um, so that was the third take i had from these five uh, you know shlokas so three takes for me yeah i'm not not sure this is in the line of the discussion that you uh, normally have but these are my takes on this uh, subject yeah 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 so but just to reiterate right you know one of us kicks off with the takes and then you know the rest of us either you know reinforce what the person has said or probably you know raise questions that that would clarify and things like that that's how the discussion goes thank you subhu thanks yeah So 
the, you talked about the desires and avalanche, like what Swamiji talks about, right? It goes back to that. I think it's chapter two, if I remember right. You know, how do how do the desires actually come? So where from where the desires actually come come up from? And I think uh, there, I think there's this beautiful set of slokas, which is my favorite slokas because that's what the marketing guys try to use to tune us to buy products and services, right? It's about when we start thinking about it, when you start thinking about anything, uh, then that over and over time, when we start thinking about it, it, it becomes a desire for us to achieve it. So the idea is, you know, not to think about something that may provi provide you a, a, a marginal utility of happiness. At the end of the day, you got to look at it from a purely quote-unquote, a businessman's perspective, time is your most important investment. Where would you use that particular time? You know, is it going to be in in in, uh, in an outcome that's going to give you marginal utility or it's going to be in an outcome that's going to give you an eternal utility? Excellent. Thank you. Yeah. That's great summary, Subo. I have two questions, you know, more like when you're pondering about uh, some of, not, not on what you just said, but through the five questions, right? Yeah, yeah. First one was on um, uh, the marginal returns. Is it applicable to relationships as well? You know, so my immediate answer was yes, it is. But um, then you kind of go further down. The question I was trying to answer was, do we outgrow relationships? Uh, how do you deal with, at what point in time you say that, yes, um, I think, you know, it, it's best to just leave it the way it is and not continue to further, I wouldn't say invest, but continue to organize yourself over those. So is it part of the experiences category? So the answer seems to be obviously yes. And especially two souls on these, these journeys, the experiences are very, very different. They grow differently. Um, but how do we really answer that question when it comes to people who are close to you? Just as an example, maybe cousins who are very close, you've shared a lot of moments together, but over the time you just feel that there is nothing that you can connect with. It could happen with siblings as well. So the, the point that I was thinking about is how do you apply that to relationships? And at how do you what, better? How do you apply that to relationships? How do you apply to that to relationships? Okay. At what point in time you say that probably... This is it. I mean, let, let, let's not kind of overthink, over-engineer this, and this, this is what it is, right? Uh, that, that was one question, but I can pass on the second one if there are any thoughts here. See, um, uh, I, I'm just going a little uh, away from, you know, what has been written in the commentary in uh, Chimnyananda. I was um, going through this small video just a few days back, right? Um, and they spoke to say the uh, you know, Gaur Gopal Das of ISKCON, he was talking about the car theory. Have you heard of this? Yeah. yeah. So, so that, that can be applied on relationships. So he says that if something is going right or wrong, right? Okay. First thing that you need to do is uh, change what you think you can. Right. That C is basically for change. Right. Um, if you think you cannot change it and it still is. You know, sometimes relations can be good. Sometimes relations can be toxic, right? Um, so it can be, uh, you know, either way. So if if it is getting something that you cannot change and it is toxic, etc., he says A is avoid. Yeah, uh, avoid being in the company of people who are making things toxic for you. Uh, 
Now, let us say, for example, your let's say somebody is married to somebody, um, trying to change the spouse, not possible, cannot step out of the relationship because you know uh, there is children, there are other factors involved, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So then um, he says R, right? Um, one one part of the R is actually he says, um, you know. Um, I'm forgetting the first R. There are second two parts to the R. The first part is one aspect. The second part, he says, even if I can't do anything to change, and this one, he says, R is rise above. Okay, right? Be completely detached and rise above uh, so that it doesn't impact you. I think one thing which I have learned in my journey is to respect yourself in this entire journey of self-realization. I think it is very important that you do not hurt yourself, uh, you know, uh, to anything that may happen uh, from the exterior world. It is important for you to stay strong from within and, uh, you know, love and respect yourself first. Okay. Uh, it's a very important factor to be able to do a spiritual journey because at some point in time, when you say you have to accept the good and the bad, you also have to have the maturity to be able to accept, you know, uh, what is being said to you, you know, uh, the positives that are said to you and the negatives are said to you is also something that you need to own up. So to me, I think, um, you know, you need to be very strong from within and the scar theory actually is something that I thought may help, you know, in understanding, but I don't know whether I've answered your question, but um, change what you think you can avoid in case it is uh, something that you can afford to do. And if not uh, rise above the situation, you know, um, any reflections from what I've said? I mean, I think that's great, uh, great thing what you said. Actually, you know, um, this this becomes very uh, interesting when you look at it and as parents, right? What happens with with our children, right? And uh, here is here is my take on it, right? So, let's say the kid wants to do something in their life, but the parents want to want to have a have a different aspiration for the particular kid. As long as the the kid is conformant with the parent's aspirations, the parent would end up loving the kid more. The moment the kid says, no, I'm going away from this track, then I think that that quote-unquote love seems to diminish automatically. Now, what has changed in the whole process is, it's just that there was a certain expectation as a parent what we had on the child, and the child is not meeting that expectation. So expectation mismatch causes the relationship to go Sar, rather than the relationship itself. The parent-child relationship is, is done. You know, once a child is born, the parent-child relationship is beautiful. It's, 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 it is what it is. But where it goes, Sar is not, not in that relationship. The Sarness comes in or the, or the reverse of that also, you know, more love towards the kid will come in if they are conformant to what we expect or conformant to what we do it. I was watching this beautiful, uh, you know, Korean drama called Startup, okay? In that, the, uh, you know, the, the situation is like this, right? The, the, parent, uh, uh, the parent is a, you know, worker in a, in a factory and the son is a startup guy and he's developing something. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, the, the parent has lots of expectation from, uh, from, the, from the father. And at one point of time, the, the son goes to the father and he says, you know, dad, you know, let's, uh, I don't want you to be my pride. And I don't want to be your pride. Okay, you are my father, I am your son. Okay, let's stay as father and son. I will choose what I want to do, you choose what you want to do. Don't take me as your trophy and go about 
Tom Tomming to the world. Okay. Now it hits the father so badly. And then he kind of you know, realizes that it's all the while, you know, I mean, in the, the, the previous episodes, the father and son would have had huge problems. Okay. And after this, the guys actually start supporting his kid. And it's such a beautiful thing. You know, you can see that, you know, his expectation suddenly drops of, of the kid and then the relationships becomes very easy over it. Check it out if you want to watch that startup. Okay, I got lots of hands raised. I saw VP raise your hand first. Yeah, so I, you know, when I think about relationships uh, in the context of Gita and what I have studied or what I have took away in the last couple of years, the way I think about it is what it says in the next yoga about desires and anger. So, so I think the same framework applies to relationships also, to the extent, you know, you want, you desire, or you want a close relationship with somebody, whether your son, daughter, spouse, parents, uh, then you are going to overwork and try and invest in that relationship. And frankly, you know, it's all not required. I mean, the more you are attached to anything, the more you are going to suffer. So, to me, it's it's about that that you know just try to be uh, detached, but do your duty because and that's where sort of the fine balance which I try to strive not always successfully is that there are certain expectations out of me as a husband, as a uh, father, as a son, and whatnot. So I need to fulfill those, but at the same time, can I not be so vested in them that let's say uh, you know if I have if something bad happens to them, then I'm, you know, totally falling apart, et cetera, et cetera. So that's how sort of I have changed my thinking over the last couple of years. Very good, VP. Kishore, thank you. No, uh, I think VP covered the, exactly what I wanted to say. Uh, and uh, yeah, in this case, the, uh, you know, the example you gave uh, Rajesh with expectations so, and with relationships, uh, it seems to me that, you know, again, expectations, you know, when in relationships, when the other party meets, meets your expectations, uh, well, uh, we, we like, and then when they don't, we don't, right? So there is that uh, binding to the expectation, which, I mean, comes out of the attachment, right, to what we expect. Again, which is a desire, right? So we desire that they do certain things. That's the expectation, right? So, uh, so the problem is not them. The problem is our desire. I mean, that, that's very clear if you see where it stems from, right? And the desire for a certain outcome in this particular relationship, right? And, and that is the one that's causing the suffering eventually. So um, obviously, it's not easy to just disconnect from that um, uh, desire, but it's good to be aware that that's where it's coming from, right? Um, just yesterday, uh, I, I was at um, a, a retreat center here called Mount Madonna. Some of you may be aware of this, but it was very, I, I like to go there. It's very, very sattvic, uh, um, beautiful place, in the, especially in the evening for Arati at six o'clock. It, it's uh, on top of the hills and, uh, you know, anyway, I happened to meet somebody I, I, I knew uh, a couple that I knew from 25 years ago. Uh, they're from Delhi, uh, and, but they're here, they, they are settled here. So they were talking about their son, um, who is now 33 years old or so. And um, we had met that son when he was five years old, right? So 
um, we were just asking what, 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 what was he doing and all that. So he said that he was a professor at UCLA. Um, not professor, I think an aspiring professor, I would say, at UCLA, very young um, and achieved quite a bit in that area. Uh, but now, and all of a sudden left everything and is now in India, runs his own nonprofit where he heads this nonprofit that saves uh, young women from prostitution. So again, what do you do? Uh, in, like I, I was thinking about them as parents, um, wondering what is probably going through there in terms of expectation, right? So somebody on a path to a professor, being professor at UCLA, as you know, uh, is one. But now, on the other side, he has established this organization that has saved 10,000 women in the last five years. So, um, which was amazing when I heard that. And, uh, and so they work undercover with um, many, um, like uh, police and other agencies to find out where these things are happening, whether it's Kathmandu, Calcutta, Delhi, Bombay, and, and then they help the law enforcement to actually go there, right? And, but he said, everything is undercover and they don't even have a website, right? So there is no, his name is not out there. This is working behind the scenes. Um, so yeah, I, I was just thinking about the parents in terms of what they may have expected, what type of expectations they may have had. Obviously he's not gonna get married or anything like that. He's 35 and he's on a mission at this point. Um, uh, and yeah, I, I, their body language was kind of mixed, I should say. On one hand, they were proud, and there was fear because they are dealing with all kinds of people, I'm sure. Um, and there was a tad amount of, uh, I don't know what to say, but th th there was this mix of feelings that I could, uh, or um, um, energies that I could feel from them. Um, yeah, just saying in, in terms of these expectations. So the other one, obviously, that comes to mind that I, I'm constantly reminded of is, uh, to your point, Rajesh, from that uh, Korean drama that you've mentioned, um, the children are born through us and not to us, right? We are just the medium uh, and they, they come in through us, but not to us. So, the, so to me, that, that one sentence from Swami P keeps resonating in my head whenever uh, there's even a little bit of uh, strong attachment like that. It's, uh, and this helps me uh, cut that. So I just wanted to mention those two. Thanks, Kishore. Ajay? Sorry, Muku, you, you, you raised your hand first. Oh, okay. Muku? Thanks, sir. Ajay, if you want to go, you can go. I can go next. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead, Muku. Okay. Yeah, so... Uh, I think on relationship, there's a couple of perspectives, right? Uh, one is, I think some of it, you know, the, the relationship, you work on it type of a perspective. The, the second is, um, even, you know, if you look at uh, 514, right? Um, there's no doership, there's no doer, uh, there's no karma, you know, there's no fruits of karma, right? If you kind of contemplate a little bit on that, and, you know, a lot of, lot of the Upanishads also go down this path. Um, the ultimate truth for all this is that there's no other, right? Uh, this is, this is uh, I mean, this may sound bizarre, but again, that's what this is. This needs to be handled carefully, right? There's no real other. When, when there's no real other, meaning it's an understanding, right? It's an experience. 
that everything is a reflection of you so think of you as a person who is putting the film and you're you know, you're lighting the camera and then what you see is outside is is that right if you kind of put yourself there it's a very empowering um, philosophy right which means that you know it depends on you right you don't I mean if some relationship go away we don't need to feel bad uh, and that's also is manifested by us right to some degree the coming in or going away is manifested by us if we want to change it we are empowered to change it if we are okay to let it go we can let it go uh so that's that's the very that's that's kind of the, the, the you know the view lens i find all this empowering um in anything that we manifest you know which but it's very very difficult to kind of grasp but you know you contemplate on geeta but and work on this you'll start seeing everything pointing to that direction slowly there's no other just as a perspective beautiful mukund i think i think most of the time when when you when you give your perspective it always comes back to the question of self identity yep all 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 how leads to one point <laughs> i mean it's so interesting that if there's so many volumes and volumes of upanishads and all that stuff which has been there which talk about only one thing self identity that's it <laughs> all right ajay yeah thanks uh... great great question uh, shamla uh, and unlike uh, muku i'm a few steps behind that sort of self identity sort of state of mind uh, but uh, but fundamentally i think most of us all of us have dealt with sort of challenges with relationships and uh, and you know you learn along the way as to what works and what doesn't doesn't or what mistakes you make uh, in terms of how you deal with situations but fundamentally uh, relationships are all a consequence of 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 attachment right and our unwillingness to let go uh, and and i think that's kind of the root of the problem and uh, and i think just kind of reflecting on sort of the fact that we're like two different people and we have our own points of view and we have equally our own circumstances uh, helps me sort of deal with it a lot better to say look i don't want to start to judge the other person because i don't know that person's full circumstances right and at some level you start to kind of say look you know you need to let go and sort of uh, i think one of the things which certainly sort of helped has helped me particularly dealing with people closer like my children is you I, you know if you try to hard it never works you've got to kind of just let things happen and 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 sort of things will resolve themselves in a way that works for both sides and i think that's something which i've kind of always always noticed uh i think i think uh, as as subu said you know there are some things you can avoid some relationships you can avoid some some you can't but i think the underlying thing that sort of remains is that you still you you you've always got to do your duties which is as a whether it's as a as a as a child as a as a parent as a friend as a colleague whatever it is i think just doing the duties and sort of that kind of allows you to kind of be dispassionate and say look i am doing what i can the relationships will take its own course uh, be dis- be be unattached to that relationship and 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 usually kind of it finds an equilibrium which sort of works uh, eventually one way or the other thank you ajay nivedita thank you thank you rajesh uh, 
sorry everybody i've been awol for a long time so very glad to be here um in in this question there are there are different layers and i think some of the really spiritual and you know the deep self identity uh, sort of aspects have been covered i wanted to just talk about some really practical uh, things around relationship which one is the parent right so that is a different equation and the moment we start seeing the children as not a vehicle to live our own expectation through everything changes we start seeing them as individuals in their own right who have come with their own destiny our job is to make them self sufficient in in the way we think but they will decide when they decide that they are self sufficient they can sort of go on from there and and the whole equation changes anything that can happen between a parent and a child is after that acceptable and actually treasured because the relationships stays and and stays treasured that's that's with the with the parenthood with with relationships which are slightly further afar a very a, you know apart from what has already been talked about a, a sadguru talk stayed in my mind where he says when you talk about what should i do about the relationship because so and so is doing this how many times are you questioning what you are doing in the relationship what do you bring to the relationship how do you show yourself up in that relationship and the moment and again all of this is linked to the expectation linked to you know what you think you are getting out of it the moment you change that behavior suddenly every relationship starts becoming a lot more fruitful um genuine curiosity in the person belief that the other person has the resources to do what they can do just changes the way we see the world and i'll stop there thank you beautiful well said nivedita mukku you raise your hand again yeah just a one clarification on what i said uh, when i said there's no other what that means is the way to solve it you need to work inside that's what i meant i think i think that's what if you look at a lot of the answers the thread is you know like ajay was retrospecting you're changing something on the way you look at it right from yourself don't blame it don't blame the, don't point the finger to the other the solution is not pointing outside solution is to work on you the way you work on yourself the, the relationship can get healed or you may let go both can happen so that's what i'm i'm trying to say because when there's no other it's not sitting quietly i'm saying this if we want to manifest something different the effort needs to go in that's what i meant i just want to clarify that it's not there's no effort the effort needs to go in good point muko alpana yeah now just just to add to it actually um if you look at the shloka 5.24 um which says about you know um i think that's what probably muko was also trying to say that um the 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 happiness we need to find that happiness within um and i think just the other side of it is that there are no others and the the other side i think which everybody was mentioning about expectations it comes from that brahma nirvan brahma nirvan is that um the apparent duality is extinguished 
nirvana is uh, uh, without the barn without the barn which is extinguishing the the duality you are one with the brahman so that means you are and that's the only reality so that's that means you are fulfilled so you if you don't look for anything to fulfill you in a relationship i think that's that's another side of saying no there are no others so so that was one thing and it reminds me of uh, you know whether it is relationship or any other um, the four points that uh, swami spg he keeps mentioning in many of his lectures from imitation of christ you know so i think what we are trying to discuss is to find peace and he says if you want peace you know there are four four tips from him and uh, they are that first one is uh, try to have less rather than more the second one is seek to be last rather than first uh, in terms of taking credit in terms of eating in terms of everything then the third point is uh, uh, i have them written somewhere uh, seek to do will of others rather than your own and the fourth is in all things um, recognize and learn to accept will of god and i think those are very those are very profound statements i'll post them in the group as well uh, whether it comes to relationship or expectations or duties any of those things i think it makes sense and uh, there was one more thing i think i'll i'll come back later on that one on the karma yoga Thank you, Alpana. That was awesome. So this is this is from Swami uh, SPG's lecture on what uh, what you said. Some topic I forgot. I couldn't hear you very well. Actually, he talks about this in many many of his lectures. Okay, so that uh -huh. I have it written. Uh -huh. um, yeah, I think uh, I think Rajesh, this is this is this is, this is something I have read at many places, and actually, yeah. it's so beautiful. Uh, okay. And SPG obviously talks about it a lot. But Alpana, thanks for bringing it because bringing it up because. i think that is so 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 powerful if you keep the, that framework in mind and and i was just going to say um, i raised my hand rajesh just to say that in fact that's the whole purpose of geeta right the relationships that arjuna feels the attachment he feels towards his uh, brothers and guru and everyone so in that sense it's a very important question to think about that you know how one use the relationship in this vyavharik world because i i always think about uh, the two planes the vyavharik world that where we have to act and do our duties and then the other world or marthik world as it is called and i think of what mukku was saying as uh, being true to uh, true in that plane because that's sort of internal to you but as you externally act out uh, then you know some of the uh, things that everybody was saying about expectations and uh what alpna said about this framework i think that helps you decide how you act or react in the society absolutely yeah okay we got two more hands super go yeah just to add to what uh, alpna was saying right when we say uh, i want peace you know satya sai baba used to say i is ego and want is desire so remove the ego and remove the desire you will have peace okay right so so that's one thing that came to my mind and the second is that as the discussion was progressing uh what i realized was you know uh, i've always been fascinated with this part of spirituality and leadership okay 
I feel that, um, you know, spirituality gives you a lot of lessons in being a good leader. Okay. And uh, I've tried to sort of imbibe these learnings in my leadership journey as well in corporate. And uh, one thing I have realized is that whenever there is an outcome which is not going the way that you desired it or you willed it, you wanted it, etc., do not look outside. It's time to look within and take full responsibility for what has happened. And I truly believe that at the end of the day, as a leader coming, talking about corporate, you're responsible for things that you do and things you don't do. You're responsible for both. I know even if you look at the, uh, you know, uh, Manmohan Singh, I mean, he might have been the prime minister, but uh, he's criticized for a lot of things for he didn't do, right? And there are things that people do and they get caught in the circle as well. So as a leader, you're, you're criticized or you're praised for things that you do and things you don't do. So you need to take ownership for both. And to me, um, one reflection that has happened in my corporate career because of the spiritual inclining has been that... Uh, things don't go right or things don't go as planned, then it's not time to look out, but to look within, you know? Um, so that's the other thing I wanted to just share. Yeah. Can you give an example? Anything, for example, even in a relationship, I'm saying a boss subordinate relationship, right? Uh, a subordinate comes and walks away, right? You had no clue that this was happening in the first place, right? And if somebody was to resign and leave, they have not decided then because jobs are not available in plenty outside. They have decided this at least six months back or three to six months back. And they've been scouting for this. This is something that you have not realized, you're not focused, or you have not really paid attention to, right? So it's a, it's, it's a process for which you need to sort of then look up and say, hey, what did I miss? You know, how did I, how could I let this pass, right? Is a question that you need to do so that at least there is a learning in that experience. So it doesn't repeat with somebody else outside again. Yeah. No, but but suppose then the the question that comes up is uh, you know uh, goes goes back to the discussion what we had last week, right? Because it could, we could get into a trap of guilt, okay, saying that okay, am I am to blame for everything that's been happening? How do you get over that part of it as well? No, that is being dispassionate, right? Uh, so so that is that is where that is where I think the attachment and attachment keeps you know we keep playing around those words. Uh, so I think you need to give a very fair. Uh, you know, hearing to what the people are trying to say. And then you can decide because at the end of the day, um, you're not going to be working, you're going to be working for the larger cause, right? So even when you look at Ramayana, there is something called, you know, Dharma for the family and Dharma for the society and Dharma for the thing. And, you know, it is very clearly said that, you know, when there is a choice between Dharma for the family and Dharma for the society or the kingdom, you know, the kingdom supersedes this. And that's one of the reasons why it is justified in some way that, you know, Rama had to send uh, Sita because of what was being spoken about in the kingdom about her, right? Um, so, so Raja Dharma is bigger than the other Dharma, you know, the family Dharma. So there are different. So as a leader, also, you will have different um, uh, roles to play. And sometimes a larger overarching role may not be something that is understood. But even if people don't understand it, I think the responsibility lies in see how you actually manage to communicate and, you know, uh, connect with the audience. So, so I think uh, it has helped me because for me, leadership has also been a discovery of self. You know, it's also a transformation from within, which has helped me in my corporate journey as well. Yeah. And, uh, and that's where I see a lot of similarity between, say, uh, spirituality and, uh, you know, leadership. So finally, at the end of the day, we are not two different human beings. One 
you know doing one thing at home or one thing in the spiritual realm and one thing else in the materialistic realm end of the day you're one person so you need to know if you have to bring in the equanimity at somewhere you need to participate in both and be the same individual that you are in both sense right so so that's that's where i'm coming from and the last thing on detachment i think um, you know this example of doctor doing a surgery you know was something uh, you know that uh, comes out uh, very frequently on detachment is that uh, why are doctors not able to even though you would have done a thousand operations uh, you still struggle to do the operation with for your own child yeah right uh, a doctor is never you know because the problem there is the attachment that comes into the picture and the expectation that the result has to be a success whereas when he is doing a 10000 other operations of bypasses on every other patient there is no attachment so he is not worried about the outcome but he just focused on the process so when you are focused on the process you are detached you know you are giving 100% to what is it and leaving the rest to god's will or whatever right and then there there is no feeling of guilt also because you know that you have done a 100% even the outcome doesn't come in the favor of what you actually see right so that's more i'll stop here yeah awesome kishor wonderful discussion uh, just a couple of points um yet another um uh, you know thing that com- uh, comes to mind is uh, i i think this from swami p or spg i'm not sure he says you know with respect to uh, relationships um to go into it from happiness and not for happiness so in the sense that again this, this is a small one play of words here that kind of Uh, says a lot because you're you're already happy from within when happiness being used in a uh, in a complete you feel complete inside and not looking for the other person to complete uh, you in some ways which is where they again comes into the expectations angle right so um I, I, yeah so that that is one thing and and the other one uh, to me all of this eventually comes down to our struggle um knowingly or unknowingly our, our mind is struggling to get to that equipoise state right i mean that's the you know stable state that it wants to be in but then circumstances pull it one way or the other and it's it's struggling it, it's that constant struggle to come back here and um um that well that, that that peaceful state the um calm state and that's kind of where it wants to be right so when there are expectations i mean it um it's clear um uh, that it it depends on something else some other factor that needs to work in that favor to actually give you that so it it, it also when you look at it logically you need to find that internally right it has to be inside because any dependency right or any, anything that depends on somebody else being in a certain way or doing certain things um is not going to cut it because it's it depends on them so even if you look at it from that angle it's it becomes clear that it cannot be long lasting um uh, whatever because it depends on something else so you have to we have to kind of find that source of happiness within um because that's the only thing that's not going to be dependent on something else right so um to, to me many of these discussions come down to uh one thing for me which is um a steady equip, uh, a mind that steady calm in equipoise equanimity because all of these things are taking us away from that right whether it's expectations attachments desires um these we think it's going to 
uh, my, uh, we are going to find happiness there. And hence we go there, obviously. I mean, we get drawn to that. But then without realizing that those are all dependent, uh, those, uh, the, the fleeting happiness that we will see there um, are all dependent, right? And hence of a lower grade, the, the higher grade happiness is within you. So um, it comes down to that. And one way we can uh, keep, be aware of this is by constantly looking, looking inside uh, to our mind uh, to see whether it's agitated. Um, is it, um, uh, and in, by extension, if the mind is agitated, your breath is not going to be uh, good. You're, you're going to see that you're going to breathe shallow. Um, and um, <clears throat> you can also observe that. So uh, one thing leads to the other. And then soon we know our mind is currently agitated. So what do we do then, right? So then I think your car uh, principles, uh, Subhu, comes to mind here. You can change things and, you know, do what you need to do, but then accept what is coming back. So karma yoga comes in there. Um, and uh, obviously, if you can um, uh, remove yourself from that situation, good. Because finally, you want that mind to be at peace, at calm. So if for that particular moment, you have to take yourself away from that situation, so be it, right? So um, all these different, different strategies, but finally comes down to the mind being steady, calm and in equipoise, right? Because that's what we are all seeking. That's a struggle that it com keeps coming back to. And, and tying back to the discussion that we had on WhatsApp in terms of why the daily average users of calm and uh, headspace is going down. It's a, it's a theory of marginal utility. You know, I think people, they keep listening to the same stuff again and again. They think that mind will get calmer and calmer, but it doesn't happen that way because they don't know, you know, that, that uh, act doesn't help them in get to that. So after some time, they realize that it, it doesn't work for them. What a beautiful discussion, actually. Um, and many, 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 many great perspectives, right? And just to put it in context, uh, I was more analyzing myself on a couple of situations with the siblings or cousins, you know, where I felt there was a lot of closeness <clears throat> a few years back. And somewhere life has taken us in different directions, different experiences, and I don't experience the same. There is a disconnect or probably we don't see eye to eye, you know, maybe some actions of each other either hurt or, you know, don't resonate at all with the other person. That was the context in which I was kind of reflecting on this. But every single thing that has been said is equally applicable, right? Not just a parent, um, you know, kid relationship or even a corporate world and so on and so forth. So, so much for us to, for me to further, I'm going to listen to this multiple times, this discussion. Every single point was loaded. And in and, and the next one that I had, and probably we touched upon this, um, a bit before is different difference between expectation and desire. I don't know, somewhere I started to feel expectation is a subset of a desire or is there you know, significant difference or not worth agonizing over? At the end of the day, this is something that comes from the fact that we are, we want something more than what we already have, right? You know, look within is what we've already said. If the happiness is here, the peace is here, there is nothing more that you need from outside. Is that where you know we need to resolve, or is there a difference between these two that we need to be aware of? So, wow, Sham, Shamla, you have very good questions, I should say. Yeah. <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me let me let me try to paraphrase your question. Is your question expectation and desire are uh, uh, how are they related? Is that what what you meant? Is yeah, there a difference? difference? Is there a difference? 
if there isn't a difference, is there a, or if there is a difference, is there, is there a relationship? Is it worth really getting, dissecting that rather than just, you know, turn the question the other way around and, you know, don't, don't really have any dependency on the outside world. Difference between those two words. Gosubu. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I've always foxed with the questions uh, more than, you know, trying to figure out the answers. Um, so, so, so one thing that comes to my mind is, um, I think when it comes to expectations, I personally believe I should have expectations of myself, not of somebody outside of it. I, I, I tend to sort of have lesser expectations of them. The only expectation I have of them is uh, that they do their roles and responsibilities in line. But uh, I focus more on what expect myself to be able to, you know, uh, come across as the right person for them in their lives. Um, desire and expectation, difference. I think desire as I see it is something which is more than what is necessary. Okay, uh, that's probably how I would uh, think about it. And expectations, I said, is uh, to me, uh, I would first have expectations of myself. And number two is that for me, expectations from others is limited to the roles and responsibilities that need to play. And today, I had a very interesting discussion. He said, uh, somebody was telling me that, you know, whether you like it or not, Subhu, at every point in life, there is a written and written stroke, unwritten contract with everybody else in this world. Okay. Now I was a little perplex when he said that, because then he said, you have a written, uh, you have an understanding with a neighbor that they should not disturb you, right? They should maintain a decorum. There is an understanding when you walk out that, you know, there is a unwritten agreement, but the guy in the security actually, you know, sort of moves the, you know, opens the gate for you or the driver opens the gate for you. There is some unwritten agreement and contract with everybody that you interact with. And to me, it got me thinking, saying that, yes, you know, while I may say that there is, I don't have any expectation. There are there are these basic expectations which do come into play. And um, for me, I'm actually literally struggling a little bit more to answer this better. I would rather let this pass now. But my theory here is that expectations of self more than others. And number two is desire is something a little more than what is you know required for you know basic sustenance. Yeah. You raised your hand, Kishore, go. Uh, sorry. Yeah. Um, to me, um, expectation comes from desire, right? So what is expectation? If you really think about it, it is I want something to, I, uh, I want something to be done in a certain way. From, if it is from somebody, I want you to behave in a certain way. If it is, uh, if it is expectation as a result of uh, in a relationship, or I want a situation to be in a certain way right? You're expecting um, uh, things to be done in a certain way. Um, and that is, if you step one um, level before that, it is that I want, I mean, which is already a desire that I have a strong desire that things are done in a certain way, right? So it stems from desire. And the expectation can be broken if that, if that desire weren't there, then that wouldn't be that expectation, isn't it? And, and that desire comes from attachment. If you again walk one more step backwards, right? You know, I may not have the same expectation of somebody who's unrelated to me. You know, so somebody keeps a, 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 a let's say, a, a room. You have the expectation that 
uh, somebody, um, you know, your child keeps their room clean, just as an example. And then, um, and because it bothers you, and there is something uh, that you are very particular about, let's just say. But then if, it, if you walk into somebody else's room, um, and not in your house somewhere else, and the room is completely a mess, you don't have that same expectation, right? Um, because, hey, you don't have to deal with it. It's not your um, child or something that you have to work uh, worry about. So attachment leading to desire, leading to expectation is how I see it. Vipi? Yeah, so uh, that's a very interesting question because, uh, um, you know, it's it's... The, it becomes very difficult to solve for it because I don't think there's one answer. I think it's very contextual. So like Kishore was talking about this example where, you know, you go into somebody else's house and their room is messed up. You don't care. But in your house, you want to, you want your kids to keep their room neat and clean. And I think that expectation is okay. The way I think about it is that if expectations are not checked in time, then they can create grooves in our mind and become vasanas and then they become you know uh, desires so that's how i have at least in my head thought through this that as long as you have expectations and again to me this framework of uh, material world versus uh, spiritual world helps me decode it because then you can you can sort of act in the uh, material world based on your duties and responsibilities so it is my duty to teach my kids to keep their room clean uh, so therefore, I'll do that. And, and therefore, I ask them that I, this is expected out of them. And I think there's nothing wrong in that. Um, but if I start expecting everybody to keep their rooms neat and clean, then I perhaps getting trapped in vast attachment and whatnot. So that's how at least I think about this. Um, the second thing is it's also contextual, right? So if you are doing certain things which are good for the society, um, then you know, or you, and therefore you're expecting certain outcomes. Is that, is that really anything wrong in that? Because at least you are uh, thinking about the greater good. So when you put all these concepts together, you realize that um, expectation, if unchecked, can become vasana and can therefore be a desire. Uh, but sometimes you have to have expectations. Otherwise, how will you function in the material world? That's at least my view on it. Beautiful. Wonderful. Muku? Sorry. Okay. Ajay, go. If you're on a mic point, go ahead. No, okay. So no, let, let me go ahead. I just had a chain of thought. So in my head, uh, Kishore, I, would th I think of it slightly different in terms of the sequencing, uh, where uh, if, you do, if, you, if you do an effort, if you do work or karma, then it is only fair to expect an outcome, which is an expectation. So I work hard and I expect to be, you know, top 10 in my class, for example, right? That is an expectation as a result, or it, it, it's, it's, a, it's an expectation of an outcome based on the result that I have, the effort that I have put in, okay? Secondly, uh, expectations to me are uh, generally, uh, positive, I mean, for something which is uh, sort of realistic. Uh, whereas if you think about desires, I think desires, generally speaking, are 
things which are sort of unrealistic, which something that is often not sort of something that is worth it or desirable, if you will, in the spiritual context. Uh, so I think of it slightly differently. Expectation, I think, is legit. Uh, desires are not legit. I don't know whether I make any sense, but that's where I am. Sorry, what, uh, I couldn't hear you very well. Expectations are, oh, you are using a word, I'm not able to hear it clearly. It's legit. It's legit. legit. Okay. okay. Because it's legitimate because I have made the effort and I have expectations and then how I react to that is kind of then going into the realm of karma yoga and all that good stuff. But when you have desires, desires sort of in my mind are generally sort of, uh, you know, unrealistic and, uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're often sort of what like, call undesirable. Okay. Muku. Yeah, so uh, I think this, this is one of the actually aha moments is uh, the 522, right? Uh, this week for me is this. Uh, see, anything, I mean, expectations and desire, right? Both implicitly are, I agree with Kishore, they're kind of the same thread uh, coming from a smaller identity, right? Um, if you look at uh, the outcome of it, right? Doesn't matter, we're trying to fulfill an expectation or fulfill a desire. Right. 522 says anything that has got a beginning and an end will lead in a misery. Right. Meaning that, which means if you're trying to pursue any of that, it will lead to a misery, period. Right. The whole science here is to get out of the misery. Right. So to me, that this, this, like, you know, to me, the way I would think about it is, hey, is, is uh, uh, you know, uh, lung cancer better or brain cancer better? Right. No, we should all avoid cancer. Right. Uh, that's a, just a perspective, right? To me, because the outcome is, you know, all, all the scriptures point to, you know, the minute you, I mean, all are different words, but, you know, the minute it's attached to a smaller identity and it's trying to go towards uh, something that's got a beginning and end, outcome is a misery, period. So we all, the science is to get out of that misery, uh, which means, you know, we just get out of both. That's what I'm saying, right? It's both are not good. Maybe they're trying to fulfill expectation, not trying to fulfill desire is not good. Now, the answer is how, that's a different question. But principle should be, in principle, we should try to get out of both. Very nice, Muku. Alpana? Yeah, no, I think Muku said it well that, uh, I think, I, I mean, as Shamla was asking, I don't think it, it, has, it is worth figuring out whether expectation and desires are different or same. I mean, uh, though internally, how I have thought of it is that expectation involves others. Uh, I mean, there, there has to be two people for the expectation to be there. But desire can be, I want a laddu. It doesn't involve anybody else, any, any other human being, uh, per se. I just want a laddu. That's my desire. It gets fulfilled. I go, I eat. No one else is involved. So there's no expectation involved in that in any way. Whereas expectation, and, and it was very interesting when Subhu said he has expectation from himself. So he thinks he's different from his mind and body and he has expectations from them. So it does involve somebody else because I was thinking about that. So uh, that's all. But I, I'm not sure whether it makes, I mean, do we have to really distinguish between the two or not? Yeah, that's what I felt. Actually, uh, this is a great discussion, and you know, I was just uh, when I said, uh, "Go ahead, go ahead." 
No, no, no. When I said I have expectations of myself, is uh, the expectation is I have to be a better version of myself tomorrow. You know, right? So tomorrow I have to be a better person than what I am today, and uh, that's what I'm saying. And also, um, you know, when I said, especially when things don't go as planned, uh, uh, I, I I sort of introspect and figure out uh, what exactly I needed to have done or not done to have created a situation like this, and therefore I try to. rewind and say if this thing happens to me again how do i deal with it and how do i handle it so so that is the expectation i put on myself because at the end of the day i think we are equally responsible for everything that is happening around us yeah and uh, i believe in this uh, statement no tad yad bhavam tad bhavati what you think you become right and it manifests right uh, so so somewhere or other you have positive um, energies to display and share and give etc you will see positivity around you. suppose you come with a different perspective it actually manifests that as well so 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 when i meant uh, expectations of myself i i said it from more from that point and context etc and again thinking again i think i'm still thinking that expectation i i don't know whether we can function in this world if we say we're working in a team we are working in a situation where you're dependent on so let's say you even sit in a car you have an expectation that the driver actually takes you to the destination if you sit in a flight you have an expectation that the pilot will actually drive you down from you know chennai to delhi right in two and a half hours three hours etc there for me i always i'm seeing this as an expectation is more of a sense of duty and obligation that you expect of yourself and other people around desire is something which is limitless i mean you can something which is slightly superfluous and what is exactly required for you that that's how i i, I have seen it yeah i i i i uh, that's my perspective yeah well, we've had this discussion before at in a different sort of uh, you know manner but i somehow feel like we have to distinguish between expectation and desire because you know it, it's about sort of if i don't have expectation how do i drive myself to do whatever i'm doing you know whether it is you know getting being a better person or having sort of personal goals or whatever right expectations therefore are necessary and therefore i kind of try and i try to kind of bucket that into something where i'm saying an expectation is something which is a legitimate outcome based on the effort that you put in right and and having that sort of expectation i think is important because otherwise how do you drive yourself to do better in in, in number of ways whereas desires in some ways are sort of you know not grounded in in effort at some level uh it's basically a kind of victory of mind over intellect right and uh, and therefore i i feel like it's helpful actually to me to have at least that differentiation in my head that you know ex- and in and therefore i feel like having expectations having put in the right effort is actually a good thing whereas desires are obviously undesirable and uh, and also somewhere uh i don't know how you know you all react to this but uh is the intensity of a desire higher than that of an expectation because i think desire is very intense isn't it from a words perspective i am yeah. just trying to yeah yeah subhu so, no that's exactly yeah. sorry to interrupt yeah. you but that's exactly how i think about it that yeah if if you have very intense expectations then then it will become a vasna which is desire so as long as you don't uh, make it very intense i think it's okay otherwise how do you function in this world i mean that's that's how i think about it Basically, yeah. Question is then: uh, If expectations are not met, uh, see, uh, then, just, then, then you go to the framework of uh, how does yeah, it so affect? Then, so then, Kishore, so Kishore, then it's it's that uh, 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 just accept it, right? That prasad buddhi. 
So that's what I think about that. Okay, whatever is coming your way, just accept as prasad. So that's your yeah, that's your kamal yoga framework. See, the 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 you know, I'm just reading these two lines which is there in uh, the commentary itself. It says, uh, "Who he who has gained a certain amount of detachment from external objects, desire for obtaining the pleasant." Okay. Desire for obtaining the pleasant or avoiding the unpleasant is no emotion at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, if you were to just superimpose this to the discussion, um, you know, having certain expectations is like you know what Ajay is saying, legit, right? It's it's okay to have an expectation, right? Uh, once you superimpose some amount of emotion into it, and you know, want it vehemently or intensely, etc., then it, it's probably what desire is. I mean. So, so, so to me, it is a binding, right? So the reason yeah. I ask that question: um, What if that expectation is not met? You know, whether it's from the from the security guard to open the door, or so let's say you're driving out and he decides that no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to open the door today. Uh, how does it affect you? Uh, are you going to be enraged? Um, are you going to say, okay, let me park my car, open the door myself, and just drive down? Um, is that what is going to happen? Um, so, so then it depends on the binding, uh, how much that binds you, right? That expectation, right? So, uh, so it comes down to how, uh, again, that expectation stemming out of, yeah, to me, that there is a desire that certain people, the situations and other things behave in a certain way. Otherwise, I'm not going to be, I'm, I'm not going to be happy uh, or I'm, it's going to put me in an agitated state. Right. So the question is, how how does it affect you when expectations are not met? So that's kind of where I was coming from. Yeah, in some ways, Kishore, uh, uh, I mean, you know, the inability to deal with unfulfilled expectation leads to desire, or or, or manifest itself in desire as a desire. Okay. Because if, 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 you have, if you have an expectation, it is not met, and you kind of say, okay, fair enough, it was not meant to be, I need to try harder, whatever, et cetera, et cetera, you still have the expectation and you continue to kind of pursue it if, if you can do it. But if it doesn't happen, then you say, fair enough, acceptance. But if you're unable to kind of accept a outcome, that is a fundamental sort of basis for desire because desire is basically, like somebody said, on, on, on ending, you know, it, it, it just kind of stays as long as you get, until you get it. So, um, if, if, if I may just quickly interject, I'm not, not having participated in previous discussions. Um, it is the attachment to the result uh, which perhaps resolves this discussion a little bit, in my mind at least. The other thing is from my, dis- one, of the, one of the sort of the two or three minute uh, that uh, from my from the Gita lessons that I attended at Paramatha Ashram, um, the the Guruji who was talking at that point in time, I don't know his name, but he he focused a lot on the, uh, an attitude he called kartapa, doership. That he says, and his his uh, whole thing was that to the extent we think of ourselves as the doer, then. Uh, whatever expectation, attachment will come from that that feeling that we are doing. So his his he focused. I found that word quite beautiful. Uh, I mean, I don't know whether that translates into 
for those who are not that familiar with Hindi, but but Kartapa, that I am the Karta. Um, so so he actually took it a bit further, not just attachment to the business, but attachment to the control, the decision, you know, the fact that you're asking for that. So that that was one of the big learnings for me from my four days in Parmatash. That's well said. Well said. So, um, you know, the great point, I know it's 7.31, we'll extend it by two, three more minutes because I know a couple of more hands raised. And uh, um, yeah, maybe I can I can go and kind of share what I'm uh, thinking about here. So, um, there was this uh, uh, there was this time before the creation of this entire universe when brahma was first created and brahma was told go ahead and create and brahma has no idea what to create okay so he sits down in deep meditation and meditates for a few millions and millions and millions of years and then uh, uh, bhagwan comes and says you know create the world the way it was created before Okay, this is Bhagavatam story. That's what I'm narrating in my own words. So now the Bhagavan says, okay, fine, I will do it. And then he gives him the user manual, which is the Vedas. And uh, he says, based on this, you go ahead and create. And then Brahma suddenly becomes very uh, egoistic, saying oh. that there is nobody in this entire universe who knows Vedas as much as what I know. Okay. And then suddenly when the ego came into him, he started creating the world and, uh, you know, expecting, had, had the desire to create that world. And that's why the world started coming in. But then the point was, there was this ego within him saying that only I knew this. Okay. And then Vishnu said, okay, looks like I need to get him off that particular ego track. Because, because of the ego, if he starts creating a world, that's, I mean, think about it. When I'm using these words, please think about it. You creating your own world or we creating our own worlds, not Brahma, right? Then the desire, the desire to create the world is already there for him. But then now, because of the ego, there's a certain attachment that develops within him to create it in a particular way, your world, right? So then Brahma, uh, then Vishnu says, I'm going to get rid of this particular ego with this person because it can't be in that source, original source, because it'll keep on going down. So then he creates these two demons called Madhu and Kaitaba, and he lets them loose. And Madhu and Kaitaba apparently come from the bro of his sweat from his eyebrows, okay? And then Madhu and Kaitaba basically go to uh, uh, Brahma and steal and steal the Vedas. So that that very ego, what uh, uh, Brahma had to create, will go away. Because the ego stems from where? From the knowledge that only he knows this particular thing. Okay? So then uh, Brahma realizes, oh man, I can't, I can't create this anymore. There's somebody else who whose help I need to seek. And he goes back and seeks Vishnu's help, Bhagavan's help. And Bhagavan goes and destroys Madhu and Kaitaba. And then Brahma realizes, okay, it was my ego which was causing this thing, saying that I have to create the world. And then he says, I can only do your wish. I'm going ahead and doing my wish. I'm just a cog in the wheel. Right? Still the desire has to create because the desire is there for him because that's his job to create. He was given the task to do the job. But did he have an expectation as to what the outcome of the world is going to look like? He does not have that expectation. That's why he's Brahma. But I, I, over a period of time, as time passes by, when we when we when we when we look at you know Manu and all the people coming down uh, in different manmantras and everything, the desire and the expectation they start working together because the sense of ego in terms of what you want to create as your world. This is my world. This is his world. This is their world. 
you know, that sense creates that particular world because, you know, we have that limited sense, unfortunately, of who we truly are. So Rajesh, if I may go ahead, uh, I have a question, right? Let's say your house is on fire. Uh, and if you're in the US, you're going to dial 911. So why are you dialing 911, right? There is a certain expectation that these folks are experts. They will do something about it, right? So is that a wrong thing? Is that a wrong expectation? That, no, it is see, not. That's what I get confused about. No, it so, is not. So, so, right. So then in, in the material world, you do certain things, as uh, Subhu was saying, that if you expect certain things to happen because that's the unwritten contract between you and the material world. So in that sense, having expectation cannot be wrong. No, attachment While expectation is attachment. Yes. one one doesn't come on time, for example, what is, it? What is your attitude towards that? Yeah, exactly. That is what determines uh -huh. whether so you have an attachment uh, expectation or not. Fair enough. No, you have an expectation that they will come. But if they don't come, how you react is the second point, which is where you accept it. Okay, you know, this is what's supposed to be and you don't get upset about them. Maybe this was meant to be so. And maybe this was your product that your house had to burn in front of your eyes. But what, what I'm saying is the first thing is that you're calling 911 because you have an expectation that they will come and potentially save your house. And that's where I think about, think of expectation as it's okay because that's that's what, that's how you will survive in this material world. Otherwise, I call it faith course. or I call it trust or faith. I don't call it expectation. It's well, as, you know, it you is an expectation the that they will the do their duty, right? No, is it an expectation? No, <laughs> it's a faith. It's given. It's given. Everybody has to do their own job. I mean, if a kid, yeah. if a kid cries, expectation, huh? if a kid cries for food, does a kid have expectation that the mother will feed? It's just implicit Ex faith. Expectation would be if I call them what they're not supposed to do and I expect them to do that thing. Yeah. Then it is an expectation. Yeah. In my opinion. I don't know. I mean, I, I think we're no, getting no, caught. Know, you said it right. Yeah. Because you said it right. Because at the end of the day, if we think that, you know, we are a cog in the entire wheel, the entire wheel of creation, then you will not have expectation. But the yeah. moment you think that, you know, I am not a cog in the wheel, I'm special in some fashion. Okay, where I need to get some benefits from whatever that I'm doing, then the expectations start setting in. Yeah, or probably what I'm trying to say is, VP, if that's your definition of expectation, you, you, you're you okay to have that expectation. Then. Yeah, because it's yeah no, that's, that's exactly how I think about it. That yes. Because you have to function in this world, you need to have yes. certain expectation that society will behave certain ways. Yeah, yeah and I call it trust. Yeah. We need yeah. to have, we have trust. I use that example that when you go to a shopkeeper, either you pay first or... He gives the things first, right? We have trust. We can't, we, we don't usually say, we have trust. Or do you call it expectation? Uh, it's the same thing then. It's the same thing. I mean, as long as it's reasonable, yeah. I think it's totally legit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, VP, you you have anything else to say or Muku? No, no, I'm done. Thank you. Okay. Muku, the last last man standing. Yeah, so the, just one comment, right? I think the, I think there's one thought current, right? Various comments that, you know, unless I have expectation, unless I have desire, how I can function, right? Uh, again, that's, there's a social angle, I think, a lot of it. But if you really reflect on what Gita says or other scriptures talk about, 
right? Uh, which many masters have commented repeatedly, and I'll use, I think, Ramakrishna's one example uh, he used. Uh, that, you know, you, we're all traveling the train. There's a guy standing in a train with the luggage and walking up and down very fast. I don't know if you heard the story, right? So there's a bunch of guys sitting in the train having a nice time. There's one guy who's got a lot of luggage on his head and he's pacing the train up and down, up and down, up and down very fast. So then the people who are like having a good time uh, are asking, hey, what, what, what's, what's going on with you? Why are you walking so much up and down? He says, no, I'm in a hurry. I got to, I got to reach the destination fast, right? This is an example Ramakrishna uses uh, that we all do in our life, right? Uh, I, th I think, you know, that idea that I need desire, I need expectation is, is the luggage, right? And doesn't matter which way you look at it, it's going to end in a suffering because it's got an end and a beginning, a beginning and an end. Whatever you're, you're, you're attaching to has a beginning and end. I'm kind of saying what the scriptures are pointing to, right? Not necessarily saying... Uh, you know what? What the aspiration of the scriptures? Scriptures, what we need to behave, right? So, which means that you know the whole point is, uh, you know, when, when when the driver of the train will get there when they get the train, which is Ishvara or divine or yourself or Brahman, however you want to clarify it. But anything beyond that, right, is only uh, we are just moving, walking very fast in the train. So definitely, there is uh, the, all the masters and the scriptures are pointing to one more way to live where this, what we are calling is expectation desires are not needed at all. Uh, there's one more way to power this engine and and that's what they're alluding to, right? Uh, I just want to kind of leave that as a, as kind of a perspective uh, because otherwise this can get, we can get caught in this rat hole, right? I need to be having expectation, I need to have desire and, you know, it'll never end. And, and clearly every scripture says that direction will lead to suffering, period. Doesn't matter what. Unless you you get out of the out of the you know you may run the rat uh, rat race and still you're the rat. So the idea is not to be the rat. Idea is to become the Brahman. That way you become this problem redundant, right? So this problem becomes redundant. But again, this is in the context. The karma needs to still be done. When there's house and fire, nine one one needs to be dialed. This is a subtle point. Lot of lot of philosophies when they understand this, they become lazy. They stop doing the karma, right? This is where the carefulness needs. A master is a good guy here. This is where the master becomes relevant. When you need to sit idle and when you need to act, he can give you a very clear guidance and uh, understanding of life. But all this framework needs to be applied in the aspect. You know, karmanye, I know you have to keep doing your work, karma, whatever you understand from your identity needs to keep on happening. Keep on happening. Keep on happening. If you stop doing the karma, nothing happens. That's a perspective. So. Fantastic. Beautiful. I think uh, we've overshot the time today and, uh, uh, you know, I, I apologize for that. So let's uh, conclude with our concluding prayer. Sarve bhavantu sukhinaha Sarve santu niramaya Sarve bhadrani pasyantu Mahakaschid dukkha bhagabhavet Om Shanti 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 Sri Guru Bhyo Namaha Harihi Om Next section, next session till end of the chapter. Till 29. Till end of the chapter and the following maybe two weeks, I guess that we will revise. So Subhu, you are the first to go this time. We are not doing alphabetical order. <laughs> <laughs>
think once Subhu goes, we all can take notes from him. <laughs> yeah. Put, put right. one more slide, put one more sloka from his slide and complete our session. <laughs> Share us your notes before. <laughs> uh, I, I have to make now for this uh, remaining slokas. Yeah, I will do that. Yeah, thank you. And okay. Rajat, why did you apologize? Were you guilty? <laughs> Were you uh, feeling guilty? Of... No, uh, I didn't. I didn't do my job. I know I'm supposed yeah. to. Have, uh... <laughs> no, <laughs> we didn't to... have expectation from you to <laughs> for it to end <laughs> at ten thirty. <laughs> You you had right. you had your own expectation that you will always keep it on time. <laughs> no, it was going it was going in a nice way. There were so many yeah, hands exactly. raised. I had to make sure that you know we were reaching yeah. some logical point. Otherwise, what will happen? We lose the thread completely when we come back again. Exactly, exactly. So my point is, yeah, don't feel guilty. <laughs> All right. Okay. Thank you. Hello. Good discussion. Thank you, Thank you man. Bye. 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 Bye